Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm here with my co-presenter Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tesuto Interiors in the wonderful Andrew Martin showroom in South Kensington. For this show, we're joined by a very special guest, Sophie Patterson, to dissect the interior designer as brand in front of a select gathering of VIPs. Yes, we're delighted to be here in this fantastic space. It's a treasure trove, a veritable cornucopia of gorgeous designer objects. In my view, interior designers tend to fall into two camps. On the one hand, there are those who deliberately avoid having a house style and always try and subjugate their own taste to that of their clients' preferences. And then on the other hand, there are those names who become firmly associated with a particular interior style and eventually become a brand in their own right. The history of interior design is peppered with notable examples of designers like Sybil Colfax or Candy and Candy who became household names because they became indelibly associated in the mind of the public with a particular interior style. But does this approach make the successful delivery of projects harder or easier for interior designers and their clients? Welcome to the interior design business. Sophie, can you tell us about your background and how you got into interior design? Um, I didn't have a traditional path into interior design by any means. Um, I'm not traditionally trained. I always wanted to be an interior designer um, ever since I was five years old. My mum tells me that for my seventh birthday, I asked for um, Christy towels for my birthday present. (laughs) And then when I was 12, I asked for a weeping willow tree. So I was not a normal child. I think it was written in the stars I was going to be an interior designer. Um, And I think... If I'm honest, I was scared to try because it was such a passion of mine ever since I was really, really young that I thought if I try it and I fail, it will be really hard to deal with. So I think I was too scared and I went down a different route and my family quite academic. So they sort of encouraged me to go down that route as well. My older sister's a scientist, the other one's a lawyer. Um, And so I went to study um, international management and Spanish at Bath University. And I, it was okay, I had a nice time, but it wasn't interesting to me. And I got out of uni and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I still loved interior design, was no closer to being able to do it. Um, so I got a job in event management and it was at a restaurant and the restaurant didn't have the budget for an interior designer, but they wanted to change. Um, it was like a sort of sandwich shop cafe into a bar. Um, and it was like the blind leading the blind. No one could make a decision. It was like every waiter and waitress had an opinion on what should happen. <clears throat> and it became apparent that someone had to lead this project. So I just said, look, I'm happy to do it. I'll work outside of my working hours um, to do it if, if you're happy for me to try. So I put something together and everyone liked what I'd suggested. And then I project managed it and it all came in on budget and in time, which is the holy grail <laughs> of interior design. Um, And I really, really enjoyed the process and it just sort of reignited that thought in the back of my mind, I really want to do this, I'm not interested in what I'm doing. Um, Around the same time, um, my then uh, boyfriend, fiancé and I uh, had bought our first home and we'd um, spent all our money on the house and we actually couldn't afford to do it up. Um, Apart from once a month we'd come actually to Andrew Martin, believe it or not, we lived in South Kensington we'd come down here and we'd pick maybe a table or a lamp and we slowly did our house up together we really enjoyed doing that it was actually such a nice thing for us to share and by the time we'd done up the whole house um, in terms of furnishing 
we'd then saved up enough money that we wanted to do our kitchen and our kitchen was literally hanging off like every time you open one of the drawers it would literally fall on your foot <laughs> like it really needed being done um and it was the first time we had a differing of opinion about our home because we have very similar taste so i wanted to it was a muse house i wanted to extend the kitchen into the garage and create this nice open plan family living i think i was trying to create a family home even though i was only like um must have been like 22 at the time and he wanted to keep the garage he was into cars so we just couldn't make a decision on this so in the end he said i think what we should do is we should ask an expert on what they would recommend would add most value to your to our house so we um, decided that we would get this um, property developer that he knew of um, through Scotland, who was then working in South Kensington, and he would be our expert and whatever he said, we would go with. And I put together a little presentation. I was like ready to talk him through it. And he came round, he listened to my presentation and then he looked at Kevin and he was like, no, you're definitely right. Keep the garage, it's, it's what adds most value to your home. And I was so annoyed. <laughs> Um, and I was having a little huff, but then he, he was looking around the house and he was like, but I really like how you've um, decorated the house. Which interior designer did you use? At which point my husband's like, we use Sophie, you should use Sophie. And he's a, his background sales. So he was always like pushing me. And I was like, no, shut up. I can't do it. I don't have any training. I don't know what I'm doing. And um, the guy said, look, I don't need you to have any training. I just literally want you to replicate what you've done in your home and do it in this house um, down the road. And I was really shy, you know, I was 22, I had no confidence. I just thought, oh my God, like, I'm not, I can't do this. I've got no experience, I've got no training. Um, and my husband really had to push me and he just said, look, you're an idiot. You're not gonna get another opportunity like this. He's willing to let you decorate this multi-million pound house. He's willing to take a chance of you. This isn't gonna happen again. It's either now or never. So I said to the developer, I was like, okay, I'll do it, but you're not paying me anything. He's like, that's absolutely fine by me. Um, so I designed it and I carried on my existing uh, job as an event manager at the same time and then um, we finished that project and that one sold for the highest price per square foot in that area at the time and what was great about that developer was he was a real networker so he um, had loads of other um, developer friends and they liked to show off to each other so he invited all of those to come round and he wanted to show off his latest project and he introduced them all to me and really sort of built up my um, network of contacts and then I did another project for him. And because my background's in marketing, I think that was my real strength at the beginning. I understood right from the beginning, I needed to have um, great marketing. I needed to do my own PR. I couldn't afford to have a PR team. I didn't have 5,000 pounds a month to spend on it. So I made sure that I invested really heavily in photography. And I knew right from the very beginning as an interior designer, your brand is all about photography because that says who you are, what you're capable of doing, and it's gonna attract more projects to you. Um, so I did my own press releases. But I you were probably bringing a commercial slant without even perhaps realising you yeah. were doing it to even those very early projects. Definitely. And I think the way I've built my business, because I've come at it from a different angle, it's been influenced by my background 100%. Um, but yeah, my route into interior design basically was someone took a chance on me. I did work for a developer. And then as soon as I could um switch into private developments and you know people's homes that's what i was really passionate and wanting to do so i really marketed myself towards that and then i got my first project actually through facebook at the time this was long before instagram and i was using twitter as well but twitter was more good for getting in touch with journalists and getting in publications um but it my facebook started because my um website developer she was quite a fierce woman. She said to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a link to your Facebook page and Twitter and you need to update it all the time. I'm going to check if you update it. And if you haven't updated, it looks terrible. So I'm going to take it off. So I was like, okay, right, I'll update it. 
Um, but I found I actually really enjoyed it as well. It was like a nice social element. Like we were talking earlier, it can be quite lonely. You know, I was a one-man band. I was working from my dining table. And I just enjoyed this interaction I was getting with other people that I had stuff in common with. Um, but going back to that first project, I was sharing images of my projects um, on face my Facebook page. And mostly it was just because I wanted to show my friends that I wasn't doing nothing. I was actually doing some work and I didn't have a website yet. So it was a great way of sharing that. And um, this client got in touch with me. She was a very tenuous link, but she was a cousin of my sister's friend. So she would never have come across me if it wasn't for Facebook. But Facebook is kind of like, and all social media is like a modern um, word of mouth. And she was able to look at my projects. She was also able to get a bit of a feel for me. I think even back then I shared a bit of personal stuff as well. And it was enough for her to pick up the phone or whatever it was that she did and send me an email and say, can I come and meet you? And you're just building a brand. And I think I enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed the so, interiors. So how would you describe your interior design brand? Um, well, this is another great question because I actually have never thought, like you have an idea of what brand is, but until you asked me to do this talk, I was like, oh, I better Google what brand is because <laughs> I don't know if I know it well enough to talk about it. Um, but from what I understand, brand, for your brand, you have to really sort of, it's your company's personality and you have to encapsulate that in just a couple of words. So I could waffle on for hours about what our brand is. But if I was to say it really succinctly, I would say we are luxurious yet livable interiors that are elegant and timeless. And those are the four adjectives that to us are the most important about our work and what we're trying to do. And, and I think having spoken to my clients also as a result of this talk, um, I asked them what they thought about our brand and what it was that appealed to them. And they echoed back those same adjectives. The fact that we're timeless, you know, if they're spending a lot of money on doing their home, they know that we're not going to be picking up certain trends just because we'll, it'll make us look good. We care about making sure that their house is going to look good for years and years to come. And other brand values? How would you describe the personality of your yeah, brand? Um, so I think that's another really important consideration as well. And I think um, although we're working on super high-end um, projects and we're working with ultra-high net worth individuals, for me, it's really important that we remain um, down-to-earth and um, approachable and friendly. And that, that runs from me all the way through my company. You know, If someone picks up the phone or emails us and asks us about a project, I don't want them to ever feel embarrassed if they don't have the budget. I don't want them to feel like scared to get in touch with us. And I... You know, I can also relate, I get a lot of inquiries and I, I actually feel terrible, but I can't get back to everyone anymore. I get inundated with direct messages on Instagram and emails and every form of contact that you can possibly get. I get the same questions come up and it's, you know, what advice would you give me? And I remember before I got into my company, I, I was unemployable, so no one would give me a job. But before I could sell my company, I did write to a few other interior designers and I said, can I come and do work experience? And I thought outside the box, I was like, what can I do to make myself stand out? And, you know, I had a um, had a car and I had um, a permit in Kensington and Chelsea. I was like, well, all their projects are going to be in Kensington and Chelsea. I'll offer to drive them around to all their projects. I will literally be their skivvy if I can just follow them around for a month. And just, I said in these emails, I'll do anything I can do to make your life easier. No one replied to me. And it was like, I was shocked. And I, and I can understand it now. And I, I know that they wouldn't have meant badly, but I... I imagine they were inundated with inquiries, but I try, and I'm sure there's people that I've missed, but I try my absolute hardest to reply to everyone that asks me for an internship um, or asks me for advice, and you, sometimes you can't. But um, So it, it sounds as though it was consci you consciously set out to actually build a brand rather than it being something that just kind of 
happened definitely from from your marketing perspective definitely. so you were really single-minded about about doing that yeah I, I really had a strong idea of what kind of company and what kind of brand I wanted so when I set up the company 12 years ago I knew I wanted to be high-end luxurious interiors and I think if you want to um, set up a high-end interior design firm you're not going to work your way towards that that you have to plan for it and you have to aim for it so um I made conscious decisions the whole way along. Like when I was um, first setting up, every time I was offered a job, if I had a choice between projects, and obviously you don't have such a wide choice in your first setting up, I would always choose the project that um, aligned most with our brand. So whether that was the, the brief was something that I felt really excited by or the project was um, a more interesting property, I would choose that over a project that I knew I could make more money from because I was investing in our portfolio and investing in our brand to, to have a long-term game and get to where I wanted to be. Do you, th do you think clients or do clients come to you and say, I want a Sophie Patterson interior? All the time. And actually, like, that can be a strength and a weakness because I don't want to be pigeonholed too much. Um, and a lot of our clients will come to us and, and they'll share images um, because a lot of our clients will either find us through word of mouth or through Instagram. I'd say like 70% of our inquiries come through Instagram. I'm actually surprised when they don't. Um, and they'll have come with images of generally it's ours sometimes other interior designers and they're like we like this we like that and it's really useful that they do that and I actually really like it because someone can describe to you oh I like classic contemporary interiors that can mean a completely different thing to one person as it does to another so seeing something visually of what it is that they like and I get them to dissect okay what is it in that interior that you like but you know occasionally I've had someone come to me and be like I want you to replicate this room and even though it's my work, I won't replicate it because it's boring for my team. Well, and it's, it's somebody else's fair. room. Yeah, it's not fair to the client. And a lot of the stuff that we do, if we, we do a lot of bespoke work, I tell my clients, I'm like, I'm not going to do this design again. Like, if you see it somewhere else, it's because someone else has ripped it off. I won't do it for any other future clients because I feel like we're underselling what we can do. We've got a team of really talented designers. We should be designing rather than replicating. But that that sort of that's part of your brand DNA too. Mm. That that kind of um, integrity, I suppose, mm. yeah. in saying that you know if I'm doing something specifically for you and it's yours yeah. and you get to keep that. Yeah, I want our clients to feel special. And um, when you asked, I was preparing for this today, and you asked me what was the appeal to my clients um, about our brand. I really I didn't know, and it shocked me actually. I've never asked them. It kind of feels a little bit awkward, like you're fishing for a compliment. So what is it you love about our company? Um, but I'm friends with a few of my um, old clients and like some of them we've worked repeatedly and we've become really good friends. So I, um, I WhatsApped two of them this morning and asked them this question. And um, the first one literally wrote an essay back. It was so sweet. She was like, I feel like, she found me through Instagram as well. She said, I feel like you made us feel so special and you genuinely care about your projects. And we felt like we were buying into a VIP club and um, that when we look at your projects, like she's like, we looked at lots of interior designers, but we liked the fact that you shared really old projects that you'd done 10 years ago and we still like them. And that was really important to us, the fact that we don't have to worry about our house aging again or looking dated. It fits that timeless yeah uh, value that you were talking yeah. about yeah and i think especially like today like everyone's sort of coming into this like um environmentally friendly thing and let's face it, our industry is not environmentally friendly by the very nature of it what we do we get people to throw out their old stuff and bring in new stuff but i think if you can at least design an interior that's going to look good for years and years to come and it isn't about trends then at least you're doing your bit to make sure that it's not wasteful yeah no absolutely yeah i think i think that's a real strength yeah 
do design do clients come to you Susie and say we want a Tessuto interior no not in the same way at all so we're we're but we're a completely different practice so we're a mixed practice we do some private client work but we also do quite a lot of commercial stuff as well and we are the other type of interior designer that we kind of try and see the world fresh through the eyes of each individual client so if you look on our website and I think it's, it's a strength but it's also in a way a weakness um, because you'll see a whole mashup of different styles um, it makes it it makes it in some ways more fun to do because each one is so mm. different to the last mm. but it also makes it much more difficult to do because you're completely sourcing from scratch every time it's much more time consuming I think probably from a commercial perspective your method is the sensible and probably the most profitable route yes and no though because we do so much bespoke work sometimes I wish my designers would just go to suppliers but buy something already surely there's something (laughs) out there but they just design so much stuff from scratch so the amount of time that's involved in signing off drawings doing the drawings um and also getting your clients to understand what it is that you've drawn. Yeah. Because if you can take them into a showroom and show them, say, yeah. we're going to have that sofa, yeah. they can see it. Yeah, and I think there's certain clients that need that. They want to sit on the sofa and, and look at it, and they enjoy that being part of a process. But most of our clients want to be shown something. We do a lot of CGIs, <laughs> mm. and it's photorealistic. It looks exactly what it looks like when they move in. And, and I think that it's a bit of a shame, really, because I used to love the unveiling. Like, even though you've designed it, there'd always be something that takes you by, slightly by surprise or something it might look better than you imagined. And it was a really nice moment sh- showing that to your client, whereas now we do the CGIs. We unveil our project to the clients. They're like, yeah, it looks like the CGI. And that's it. You're like, Ugh, I'm literally although, like, although there's still lived and breathed this project. You can years. never entirely predict the way light will fall on something, or you know, you can't. Honestly, though, we can. You like, can. You, you really, really like do. The technicians we use, they know where which orientation it is. It literally looks just like just photo real. Yeah, wow. to the point that, and we work with a lot of photographers now. But like, there's quite a lot of post production in our photographs, so sometimes they can look a little bit like a CGI, and then the CGI almost looks like a photo, and like. There's moments where I'm like, is that the CGI or is that the photo? It's crazy. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I was interested in what you said about um, asking clients what it is that appeals mm. to them about you. I mean, it's, do you think interior designers are good at actually getting market research from their customers? No, terrible. No, I don't think we're as good as we should be. I, I think, think firstly, yeah. we're too busy. And secondly, it's like you're almost nervous to ask like please don't say anything horrible and also you don't want to come across like like I said earlier that you're fishing for compliments it's a bit awkward needy yeah Mm. we are all a bit needy as creatives but you try and control that I think that every interior designer I mean all the designers here in this room everyone has a brand whether they are aware of it or Mm. not and and actually it's important to understand how your brand is perceived by your customer definitely because your brand is not just what you think it is and you know your logo and your website and everything that you can control it's what people think of your company and when they think of your company what are the things that come to mind and and for me I think what what's great about social media for example for building your brand is um that you know you want to come across as exclusive and high end and or whatever it is that you want to say about your company but I think it's also really important to share some of your company culture and something about behind the scenes and I had an experience um, four years ago. One of my um, best ever clients asked me to come and meet them and see their their project, and they invited us in for tea. And we had a great time. They served us cake and everything. Um, and at the end, and um, they said, "So, is our is our project big enough for you? Will you consider taking it on?" And I literally laughed out loud. I was like, "What? 
like how could you possibly think this project isn't good enough or big enough for us and that's the point is like you don't know how your brand's coming across to the people that could potentially be customers you know if I hadn't done Instagram and shared behind the scenes of our company she would not have got in touch you know she was teetering on the edge of should I shouldn't I anyway and whilst it's great to be an exclusive luxurious brand you don't want to be alienating potential customers so I think it's really good to break down those barriers and share a bit of your company culture share about a bit about your ethos and you as a person so that people because they're buying into you as a person as much as they're buying into your your brand and your company and your portfolio is there a downside to social media though can it be a double-edged sword yeah definitely i think um you know it's been really well publicized it can be damaging for your mental health i think it's important to have boundaries yeah i was more thinking about the oh, for your damaging the brand oh yeah 100 yeah, yeah you've got to be really careful because although it comes across as very sort of casual and relaxed you know you're going to be judged on everything you put out there mm. and it's it's relaying a message so you do have to think is this on brand and i think it's easy for me because, and I always think the company owner should do the Instagram as, if they possibly can because you know what it, you know your brand better than anyone else and you know what it is that you want to say. But also, if you get it wrong, you're not going to get in trouble. And I think if I had a marketing manager, they'd probably question my judgment about some of the things I share. But I think you can't take it too seriously. You've just got to do what feels right in your gut. But, you know, I, my strategy with social media is... And I do have a strategy. I don't like. I don't plan it months in advance like some people have, like marketing meetings about what to do. I, I use an app called Planoly, so I make sure that it looks nice aesthetically. Because I think if people are scrolling through, they'll sort of judge your feed on whether it looks nice and curated. Um, so that's important. But I also um, look at the um, statistics. So I look at what um, resonates with my audience. What do they like? Okay, give them more of that. What's not really um, getting that much engagement? Okay, do less of that. Um, but I also just share things that I'm interested in and that I want to talk about and sometimes that might be personal things and I think for me I like doing that as well because it might not be beneficial to the business but I want to share things that I think might help other people. Do you find though that then, that then means that when clients come to you they just want you? They, they're, mm, they're buying yeah. into Sophie Patterson. Yeah. How difficult is it then to hand across to a senior designer in your team for example? Yeah that's a great question. Um, it is difficult and I think but I think that would be the case whether there was social media or not you know the company's called Sophie Patterson Interiors and I I've kept my company purposely a very small boutique firm with 10 designers 10 designers interior architects myself um and that's because you know for me our unique selling point is our attention to detail and you can't do that you know I'm personally involved on every project at a design level I can't divide my head by more than the x amount of projects so we cap the amount of projects that we'll take on each year and that allows me to be involved in every single project but I'm also very honest with my clients and I take them on I say look I'm going to be designing this project with the team I'm going to be heavily involved I'm going to be cc'd in every email I'll follow everything that's going on I'll step in when I need to but I'm not going to be every single site visit and every single email that comes to you isn't necessarily going to come to me it's probably I would have discussed it with the designer but they will be typing it up and sending it to you so it's just about managing those expectations as well because that's important for your brand as well because it's how you make your customers feel through the process not just the end interior that's going to influence their perception of your brand 
that's interesting because I think a lot of people will think the brand is just about the one person whose name is part of the company, mm. but actually you're accompanying everybody, those Definitely. 10 people, they yeah. all have to buy into that and be part of it. 100%. And I think I'm really lucky, like my management team, they're very conscious of brand and they come to me, you know, because when you've got, when you're running a whole company, there's multiple people in there, you, can, you can't focus on every single element. You need other people that are looking at different things as well. But they're very aware and they're constantly assessing alongside me you know, is um, is our portfolio, you know, should we update it on the website? Is the website up to date? Is our um, presentation style, does that need to change? You've got to constantly be moving forward. Do you have someone in your team that is focusing solely on those aspects of no, the business? No, there's three of us that do it together. Um, but they're also actively designing and I'm actively designing. So, no, I, it would be great to have someone that just did that, but we're not a big enough company to do that. How big do you think you'd have to be before you could sustain someone in that role? I think you'd have to want to sustain them in that role. I'd, um, for me, it's a part of the business that I really enjoy. And I feel like we have that skill set within the company. We outsource, so um, we redesigned our website two, three years ago, two years ago, I think. Um, and my sister was involved in that, actually. She's here today, Alex. Um, and... And that was so great for us because we're always presenting to clients and actually to have another company and, and you know, we pay them their design fee and, and we value their expertise. It was so nice to just sit back and be like, okay, this is our brief. Now you go away and do it. And I loved being presented to. Because um, it almost never happens. No, you're it always, never happens. You're always actually, on the other side yeah, of the table. Yeah, we learned so much through that experience. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to bet they did so many things so well, not just designing the website, but also the experience and how we felt in their presentations. We learned a lot through that process. So we definitely hire people externally, but not in-house. So, And how do you make sure that social media doesn't damage your brand? Um, having a clear strategy. So um, know what you're going to share, like have sort of guidelines in your head of what you would share and what you wouldn't share. Um, I, I think it's quite obvious. I mean, just share things that are on brand so question yourself is this is this sort of reinforcing our brand or is it detracting from it um and it you know it's a tricky question but like i can't really think of any examples i'm, I'm sure i've probably shared images over the years that might have been like oh really is that on brand but i think as long as the majority of what you're sharing is consistent and on brand you can't go too wrong obviously you know you don't want to be trolling anyone or saying anything negative i think I would never be one of those people that would go on Instagram and be like, I had a terrible experience with this company. I'd rather do that privately. It's not for naming and shaming. I think that reflects badly on you. I'd just keep it positive and share nice things. That's that's what social I mean, media should be about. Instagram is such a great platform for interior designers. And generally speaking, I know I know it's not universally a nice place, but generally speaking, most Instagram feeds for yeah. interior designers, that it is a lovely Definitely. space because what you're doing is looking at just gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous images. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I'd say like 99% of our comments are just like absolutely lovely. Um, and I, I try and read them all. And when you scroll through, we've had the odd trolling comment, but I just don't take it personally. And if it's saying something about one of my client's projects, I'm just going to delete it. I'm not even going to waste my time interacting with that person because... At the end of the day, my client's been good enough to let me take photos and share photos. I'm not sharing them for people to say mean things. No. You know, that's someone's home, so I really don't care what it is that they have to say about it. If they don't like it, don't follow. Yeah, but then they don't have to live there. Yeah, exactly. 
And how important are branded collaborations for you, Sophie? It's really, really important and it's something that I really love doing. I don't want to spread myself too thinly. I, again, like I think you have to, it's the same with building your company brand. You have to have like a, a sort of end goal in mind and and think about every single offer that you get. Is this on brand? Is is this going to detract from my brand or damage the other brands that I'm working with? Because you have you have a responsibility towards so them. So the as ones well. you say yes to are sort of brand appropriate for Sophie Patterson. Mm. Yeah, I think that's obvious from yeah, the ones you've and done. I, and I think as well, like I've been offered um, this two that I can think of where it was like it was I was on the cusp I was considering them and then I just I canvassed my team because they obviously order a lot of stuff and I said you know what is your experience with this company and they were like oh no and and straight away I was like no I'm not doing it because if they don't have good customer service that reflects on me and I don't want to be inundated with emails of people being like where's my order and what I've been waiting x amount of weeks it just isn't there's no amount of money that's worth damaging your brand because once you've damaged it you can't really resurrect it. You only have one reputation. Yeah. Um, but going back to your original question, yeah, it's hugely important. And, and what I loved about doing um, the Andrew Martin collection, you know, they approached me to do um, design a collection of cushions and fabric, and and they gave me total free reign, and um, that was really exciting. But what I loved as an interior designer is you kind of know through sourcing what products are missing from the market. So for me, it was really exciting because we design a lot of um, bespoke cushions. And sometimes by the time we've added like a fabric for the front, a fabric for the back, a brush fringe, yeah, a trim, you know, you've had it made. It's so expensive. I'm actually embarrassed to tell the client the price and I don't even put markup on. Like we make no money. We sell hundreds of cushions. We make no money every year because I don't feel like it's, you know, it's justifiable. And I, I, don't, I don't want them to turn around and think I'm ripping them off. So I'd be like, OK, well, I'm not going to make any money on the cushions. That's fine. But what was great about doing it with Andrew Martin is we designed all the fabrics, we had them made in the UK, we designed the the trims and the fringes, and we you know we specified the colour, how thick they were. I knew exactly what I wanted, and because you're involved at that manufacturing stage and you're um, manufacturing in bulk, you can do them at such a great price in comparison to what it would cost for Buying me to a make one meter or two of fabric time. and having a load yeah, of waste and, and everything else. I'm always amazed, like you know. Cushions are a luxury product. I'm not going to tell you that they're like, you can buy them every day, but I'm amazed that they can sell them at a price lower than I could make them at. And for me, that's so exciting. And what else is good as a, as a brand is that, you know, we've worked with Andrew Martin and Fremantel. They're both global brands. So you're entering into different geographic markets, but you're also entering into different customer markets. So I, as an interior designer, would never be able to serve, you know, all the thousands of interior designers that follow me because naturally they're going to want to design their own projects. They don't need me. But what I can do as an interior designer is I know what they need. So now I've been able to do a collection of cushions that they can use in their, their projects if they want to use slightly more affordable cushions that still look really luxurious. I've managed to fill that need. So it's something that I find really exciting. I think it's only a successful collaboration if it strengthens your brand and strengthens the other one's yeah, brand. Absolutely. It's got to be mutual. So do you manage, do you try and do what, a couple of a year or how does it work? I don't put a number on it. It's I actually, Just as they come up? As they come. And last year I actually said no to a lot because I was, I was about to have a baby. I had so many projects coming to an end and I didn't want to spread myself too thin. Um, so I just picked the, the ones that I was most excited about. And the things, my criteria when I pick a company or I decide whether or not I'm going to work with them is first and foremost, do I like them and do I trust them? Um, and I think that's probably the same question that a, a client will ask themselves about an interior designer because you, you, you're working together and you're, you're 
you have a responsibility to each other, but you can influence each other's brand, and I take that really seriously. So, um, you know, do I like them? Do I trust them? And is the is the product exciting to me? And then if that if it's yes to all of those, then I want Amazing. to turn. I was interested what Susie was saying about the 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 relevance of style to brand, and there are some designers out there I think who are easily identified through things like colour, for instance, that, oh, that's beige, so that must be so-and-so's design. And does that does that translate into any of the work you do? Is that part of your brand, or is it um, distinct from those sorts of things? No, I think if I'm honest, then it is a part. And I think, our, again, like we have an ethos about colour, and it all comes down to the timelessness um, effect. Generally, unless our clients say otherwise, we'll make the base neutral, so the sofas will be neutral. But I'd say more and more colours coming in. And then, um, you know, we're by no means scared of colour. We actually love using colour. And we actually push our clients' boundaries to use as much as possible. Um, but we'll bring in colour through um, our accessories, wallpaper increasingly. You know, I just redid my own bedroom um, with a, one of my Fremantel um, wallpapers um, from our latest collection, and it's burgundy red. Yeah. And no one in a million years would have thought I was going to do a burgundy red bedroom. It's not just a couple of cushions, it's like the entire wall. Um, and now I'm wearing burgundy every day. So. I see. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that evolves over time, and I think there's a natural progression towards more colour in our industry, but my ethos with it is um, a little goes a long way, and I just want to be conscious that they're not, my clients aren't going to get bored. So well, I'm going to back sure to going back to that sort of timelessness element. Yeah. If you stick with a fairly neutral base, yeah. you can change the cushions, yeah. can't you? But but it's also important that when you walk through a house, especially if you're doing a large project, that each room has its own personality. You want it to flow. But if you just have a hundred grey rooms or a hundred beige rooms, it's like you walk into a room, you're bored before you've even sat down. It's like you've already seen it. So I like to do a different accent colour um, in each room, and and that's not like using themes, but just. You know, subtle use of colour that changes throughout the house. I think that's nice. And as you said, it might relate to the art or, you know, collections, yeah. things that the clients yeah. own. Yeah, we try and take inspiration from if they have any existing pieces or the view outside the window. Wherever we can get inspiration, we take it. I think what's interesting listening to you and, and um, the way you talk about brand is that it relates very strongly, for me, back to Bath University and doing management and marketing and having those interests. It, it really seems to to flow into how you value yourself and, and describe yourself. Do you know, I've got to be honest, my degree did not help me with my current day marketing. <laughs> I fell asleep in half my lectures and the other half I didn't attend. So my background in marketing comes from mixing with people in business. And, you know, I'm lucky to be surrounded by lots of interesting people. And I just love hearing people talk about their business. Um, so I sort of, I'm like a sponge, I absorb it. And it's something that I'm interested in. So... I don't think you need a degree in marketing. I think even listening to podcasts and I read I read books about marketing and I, I look at things on the internet about it. I just find it really interesting. So that's where for me I think I've sort of done my own degree. Although I did a degree in international management, it's it's not from there. Sorry, Bath. <laughs> you're, you're a natural marketeer by the sound of things. So what advice would you have for other designers who perhaps would aspire to becoming a brand? Um, this is a good question. It's hard. It's a hard question because I think it's hard to summarise it up. But um, first and foremost, I think you need to you need to have a plan. So you need to think what is it? What kind of projects do you want to be attracting? Because the whole point of branding is you're trying to attract the business that you want. So think about your end customer. Who do you want your end customer to be? What kind of projects do you want to be? What do you want people to be saying about you? And then 
try and emanate that even if you're not at that level yet so even when I was working from my dining table as a one person I always tried to portray myself in a really professional way um you know just everything you do needs to be on brand so right now we're recruiting so whether it is that you have your own company or even before you have your own company if you want to go and work for another designer um right now I'm like wading through hundreds of CVs and portfolios and it it's so important like how you because if you think about who's going to be employing you they're going to be looking at multiple people so you need to make yourself stand out in the same way that you will need to make your company stand out and your website stand out so just think about what kind of font you want to use make sure that that's consistent across all your branding all your presentations um even things like social media and i think they even tell people this at university to make sure that all their social media if it's open i look at people's social media if i'm thinking about interviewing them i'll go and see can i find them on instagram what are they what are they interested in what kind of things are they sharing do their um values seem aligned with our brand that kind of thing i think everything you do especially in today's digital age online has to be very sort of consciously done and consistent because it's there forever you can't really yeah. get rid of that um so yeah going back to that um so think about what it is that you want to do try and keep everything on brand become the brand you want to be before you even get there because you have to sort of make people if you don't believe in yourself no one else is going to believe in you and invest i think i think i mentioned this earlier but i invested so heavily in photography you know even though iPhones are great these days and they're much better than they were 12 years ago um you want to be showing your work to its absolute best so if you're not hiring a professional photographer you're really doing yourself a disservice um so i think they would be my key pieces of advice um and maybe study other people that you admire in the industry look at um what kind of publications are they in what kind of things are they sharing on their social media how do they do their website definitely don't replicate them because i think that's so obvious so we're a small industry and you can kind of see straight away if someone's trying to replicate someone else you want to be bringing something fresh and original um but just if you can sort of pick up tips along the way you can definitely learn from others and i think <clears throat> we're a friendly industry on the whole so if you ask people for advice they will share mm. Was there any kind of eureka moment where you thought my brand's made it? No. No. I'm always looking forward. Like I I actually struggle to look back. Like I love setting new goals, but I've never done a recap at the end of a year and it was last um just before Christmas I'd um promoted two people in my team into a management position and we just thought, you know what? Let's do a meeting and let's actually recap everything we've achieved this year and I cried. The first like I shared all the images with them and and they put them together in a nice slideshow and they shared it with me and they put like really emotional music. And I literally was like crying my eyes. I couldn't watch it without um crying and it was so important to reflect as a team because I think we're always driving forward and we're all so hard working that you never actually sit back and give yourself a pat on the back and watching this reel and I shared a bit of it on Instagram there was like some stuff that we took out but It was just such an amazing moment to actually recap and and be able to tell my team how proud I am of them and how much I appreciate. Yeah, even saying it now makes me want to cry. You're welling up. You know, you just don't get that opportunity to reflect, and I, and that really showed me how important that is. Rather than just always looking forward, it's you should enjoy the journey. Do you do much of that, Susie? Recapping, reflecting. <laughs> do you have the time yeah. to? Well, um yeah, we know we do from time to time. You know, we we we'll go out for it's usually for us it usually happens when we when I go out with the team. So we socialize as a team yeah. quite often. So we'll go and do something. In fact, we're all going out for for tomorrow evening because one of my team members is leaving us very sadly. Um and you know, that's going to be lots of 
funny stories and and sort of talking about the projects that we've done over the mm. last 12 months and yeah. so we'll we'll always have an event at christmas and we'll usually have a an event during the summer as well mm. so we all go out together and we'll we'll sit around and have some wine and yeah. talk about what we've been doing and funny moments and it's just really nice to kind of share the triumphs but also to share the disasters mm. because it's a way of kind of flicking them away you, yeah. you get them you've got to be able to laugh yeah sometimes. absolutely because if you didn't you'd cry yeah <laughs> i suppose an interior designer's lot is always looking forward because you're designing for yeah. projects that are ongoing you're always thinking ahead rather than actually thinking about what you might have just achieved yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. such a fast-paced industry and like our projects they take anything between years to one to three mm. years to deliver and so i feel like when people join our company they always say oh my god time just flies and i feel like we're in a, like a time machine like on times 30 things just seem to go by so quickly um so you have to force yourself to stop and take that time because it's so easy to say oh i haven't got time i haven't got time but actually everyone's got time you just got to make that time but also often because they're complicated and because they can take so long to deliver by the time you actually get to the end you don't get that sense of ta-da triumph yeah, yeah. you're just exhausted yeah you just go home and sleep for yeah, about a week exactly. but you don't have time because you've no, got to move on to the next project <laughs> so it's it's really nice to just be able to look back and reflect mm. i think it's healthy how much time would you say is spent actually on the business when you're thinking about business things like how the brand looks or what you might do next in marketing um i think this is true of any interior design firm having like grown my business from the ground up 90 percent of it is not design so whether that's accounting legal hr branding marketing you name it like there's so many things about being an interior designer that are not about interior design and i think people don't really appreciate that they think we're sort of fluffing cushions and going sourcing and having lunch every day i wish it was like that um i'd say 10 15 percent of my time is thinking about branding and marketing and and i sort of more actually because you know if i think about social media it sort of sneaks in there you don't think about it but you're doing work when you're doing that um so maybe 20 percent of my time I think what's really interesting as well is the way on Instagram you have your family and, and pets can be part of that story, which, which is, I think, it's, it's a human, um, it's an emotional purchase that clients make, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a nice thing to share. Um, I think it's a good thing for your business. Um, but I think it's just, it's just people want to, to buy into people. They don't want to just meet with a company it's a personal thing we're doing we're not doing commercial projects we work with developers to do multi-unit um, developments but generally they're people's homes and so they're sharing you know they're inviting us into their home it's for them it's reassuring to know something about you as a person and are you going to click so i think that's important it works both ways if someone's not the right fit for us we're not going to be the right fit for them either whereas when everything flows and you're just on the same page it's such a joy and it's such a pleasure and what's the most amazing project you, you've worked on, would you say? It's really hard to narrow it down, but I'd say there's certain ones that stand out for me at different stages in my career. So I'd say like the Game Changer one that took us to the next level and allowed me to um, hire designers was a project in Cobham that's still on my website. And she's actually one of the, uh, she's one of the clients I canvassed this morning on WhatsApp. She's become a good friend. And um, that project was the one that allowed me to take on my food to first uh, my first two members of full-time staff um and then more recently um the client that thought her project wasn't big enough um we've done multiple projects with that family since and their most recent project was just spectacular i mean 
such an incredible space to work in. It's definitely the most beautiful property I've ever been able to design. You know, the period features, the tall ceilings. You could literally throw a beanbag in there and look great. So it made our job really easy. Great. If only it was just that simple as a beanbag. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks very much, Sophie. It's been Pleasure. wonderful Thank to listen to. Thank you for having it. me. Thank you, Sophie, so much for sharing those fabulous insights with us. I think we've all learned such a lot. And thank you also to Andrew Martin for hosting us today and to you, our impeccably behaved VIP audience. You can find the interior design business on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on-demand services everywhere. We're on Twitter at IntDesignPod and on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production.